Well, if you are new with us today, we are in a series called When in Rome. And for the next 10 weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the most important letters in the New Testament and one of the most important books in all the Bible, the book of Romans. And if you will, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 17 in your copy of God's Word. Uh, so um, many of you guys know like my, my nutrition journey, and I'll share that with you. Uh, but one of the mistakes I made, I didn't listen to uh, one of our security guys named Jerry Maitland. And as I was trying to lift weights, I was doing all this stuff I thought was cool and good, and I wasn't making any, any progress or gains in the gym. Uh, Jerry would always say, hey, man, understand catabolic and anabolic, because I don't know what that means. And he'd say, hey, you need to understand, you've you got to eat carbs. Like, no, 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 carbs are the devil. Oh, and he would keep sharing these things. And I could not make any progress in, in the gym until I found out the one thing that changed everything. The one thing that I'd been missing. And it was that. It was this nutrition stuff of what I had to do. And I had to track and carbs and how important this and that. And staying you know, anabolic in the gym versus catabolic. And I just all sounds great. But what I found out, that one thing changed everything for me. It was the one thing that mattered most. Now, I'm not here today to talk to you about nutrition or, or, or weight lifting or strength gains or any of those things, but here's what I am here to talk to you about. The letter to the church at Rome, the book of Romans, is that one thing to the New Testament that you could read everything else, but you may miss the beauty of understanding what salvation is and understanding what justification is if you don't read that letter. The letter to the church at Rome is that one thing. Matter of fact, we have a Protestant Christian church here, and we have Protestant Christian churches across the world because of this letter to the church at Rome in the first century. There was a Catholic monk named Martin Luther, and Martin Luther uh, was reading the book of Romans, and he had this aha moment, and it was pretty deep where he was like, wait a minute, I don't have to do all these things to be saved? Because the Catholic Church said, I mean, you had to pray to certain people, and you had to do mass at certain times, you had to do this, you had to do that. It was penance. It was all works-based righteousness. And Martin Luther had this just aha moment. If you've never watched the movie Luther, go watch it. And he, he just, he wrestles with it, he struggles with it, but he gets to the place he understands after reading this letter, you are saved by grace through faith alone, not of works. Amen. So then he goes and he nails the 95 theses to the door of the Catholic diocese. Like, bam, bam, bam. And he starts a reformation. Matter of fact, do you know there was not a Bible that people in the pews could read before Martin Luther? It was all in Latin, and only the Catholic priests could read the Bible and had access to it. They wouldn't let people have access to it. So what did Martin Luther do? With the Gutenberg Press... They begin to make Bibles in German so people could now read the Bible and translate the Bible. And many of Luther's colleagues and friends lost their lives. They were murdered by the government and even by the church for doing this. We have a church today and we have freedom to worship today. And we have the understanding of grace through faith alone because of this one letter if you study, you know, Augustine or maybe John Calvin or John Wesley, every one of these men will go back and say, this book is the one thing that changed everything. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. He was nearing the end of his ministry. At this point, he had been traveling for 20 years on missionary journeys, starting churches all across Asia Minor. There were no Christians there. He'd go in, he'd launch a church. It was beautiful. The gospel was flourishing. 
And Paul, being a Jew and a Roman citizen, wanted to visit the church at Rome. Rome was like the the hub of everything, and he wanted to get there. But for 20 years, he had not made it there. So finally, he writes a letter to this church he had never visited. He was in Corinth at the time on his third missionary journey. He'd been in Corinth for about three months. And around 55 AD, he pens this beautiful letter to them. And he opens the letter up by telling them that I wanted to visit you many times, but I've been delayed. And just trust me, like, I've wanted to come to you, but the, either the Lord's not allowed it or, or Satan stopped it. And then before we jump into Romans 1.17, he says this to them in Romans 1.16. He says, but I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He says, listen, I have not avoided Rome because I'm scared of going to jail for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. And then what Paul does in verses 17 through 32, he shows them, you have to understand this, he shows them the problem with the world and the problem with depravity. He shows them the depth of it. And then the rest of the book, he gives them the cure. But until you understand the depth of sin, until you understand sin, you'll never need a Savior And so the verses we're going to look at today seem a little weighty. You're like, you know, why would you preach that in church? Because you can't get to justification by faith alone through Christ without this verse, without understanding this. And what Paul does to, to the church at Rome with this letter is he paints a picture for them of not only what happened throughout history that started in the garden with Adam and Eve, but then he goes through and shows them what happened in Israel and what they did. And then as you read this, as you're reading this, you'll see him vacillate and go back from like he talks in past tense and then in present tense in the same sentence. You're like, well, why would he do that? Because he's showing them not only was this, has this been the culture since Adam and Eve with depravity, but if you look around the Roman Empire, you would see it right now. And so as these guys would hear this letter read to them in the first century, and most believe that they would circulate this letter around because it was such a, a comprehensive view of New Testament theology that as, as they were listening to this, they were going, yeah, Paul, that's us today. Like, like you are reading our mail in Rome right now as you're doing this. So look at verse 117, and there are some weighty things in here, some weighty subjects um, and topics, so we're going to delve into it and deal with it. He says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. He was quoting the Old Testament or the Jewish Torah. But then he does this. In verse 18, he shows you the problem. He shows you what depravity looks like. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth with their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. He says, just look around. It's beautiful. And the more you study science, the more you should be uh, just understanding, yes, there is a God that There is intelligent design. You cannot study biology. My wife majored in biology before being a physician assistant. She said, you can't study biology and look at the human cell DNA and and just think it just randomly happened. It's like, you know, if you think like it's just Big Bang happened and we all are randomly here, 
I want you to do an experiment. Take a watch apart, okay? One, one that ticks, not your Apple watch. Or take a clock apart. I want you to take all the gears out and put it in your dryer. Put your dryer on spin and just keep stopping it. And I want you to see if that clock will ever magically just come together on its own and become a, a, a ticking clock. You'll be doing that forever. As he's saying, look, man, the, the, the people who have turned against God, they, they can see he clearly exists. And then he goes on to say this. And then he's speaking here simultaneously of Israel and those who knew God, even those in, in, the, in the Roman Empire. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And this is probably, verse 22 is our current university system right now. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And then look what verse 24 says. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. He said, you want to do you? You go do you, boo. Fine, fine. You go ahead. You want to make up little, little, little uh, you know, golden idols of me? You, want to do, you go ahead and you go for it. And that's what he did to Israel in the Old Testament. He just let them go. And then he'd come back and he would rescue them again. And he shows you here what that looks like. He says, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with their lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, one thing I want you to understand about why he's going into that here is because in Rome, they're going, yeah, 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 we, 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 that looks just like Rome. And here's why, because if you study history, Nero actually had male concubines and female concubines as young as 13 years old. And pedophilia was normalized in the Roman Empire in the first century. It was normalized among their leaders and their kings. And so when Paul says like, hey, do you realize that depravity, what is done, what moral decay has done? They're like, yeah, we see it. This is, yeah, this, this is speaking of Rome. And they're like just shaking their heads, yeah. Because they were living in that where their kings and their leaders were indulging in these things. And then he says this, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. And these are going to describe what depravity looks like. And I'll, I'll explain that to you. He says, of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. And if you're like, well, hey, look, I'm, I'm none of those. I'm pretty good. He's going to hit you up too. Don't worry. He says, they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. So if you're like, I don't do any of that. Yeah, you disobeyed your parents before. You're in that depravity place too, right? They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. 
They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, no matter how they treat humanity. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This sounds weighty and heavy, and you're wondering why in the world would you preach this? Or you want to try to like get everybody to come back to your church and make your church big? I'm not here about, about that. That's, that's, my goal is to faithfully teach the Scriptures to you, right? And what Paul is showing here, and you probably don't usually or used to hear this preached on Sunday mornings, but it's so important. He's showing them what depravity looks like, what it has looked like from since Adam and Eve, and what it looks like all the way up to the first century. And when you and I look at this, we could easily copy and paste this into America and around the world today, right? I mean, I mean this, is, this is our culture today that we live in. And we have to understand, though, what God's response is to this and what our response is to this as well. And that's what I'll spend the rest of our time today is looking at this thing called depravity. What is it? And what does it do? And, and here's what I want you to write down. Because here's what the, the letter to the church at Rome is all about. A depraved world is in desperate need of Christ. That's what the, the, the rest of this letter is all about. A depraved world is in desperate need of Christ. Now, depravity is this. You're wondering, what is this word? We're going to use this a lot today. It's humanity separated from the life of God. So like when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, boom, they were cut off from fellowship with God. And sin, before you come to know Christ, um, it cuts you off from the life of God. It's, you, it says in Ephesians, okay, that, that you were made alive, that you were dead in sins and trespasses. You literally spiritually are dead when you don't know Christ. Dead. You're depraved. And you wonder why people can justify and do things that are so harmful and wicked to others and think it's Okay. It's because they're depraved. That's depravity. And before I knew Christ, I was also depraved. I was separated from the life of God. I, I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but Christ made me alive when I believed on Christ and gave my life to Him by grace through faith. And so when you hear the word depravity and you look at the world that we're in and you see all the depravity going on, that's, that's just what people do when they're separated from the life of God. It says in Ephesians, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, he says that their understanding has been darkened. Like, have you ever tried to get through to somebody who's, who's depraved? Like, who's, they're just separated from the life of God. And their thinking is just off. You're like, how can you, I, I don't, how does that make sense to you? They've not been made alive through Christ yet. So a, a depraved world is in desperate need of Christ. Now, Paul shows us there's three dimensions of depravity here. The first dimension of depravity of, of a, a world and a culture separated from the life of God who don't have Christ is, number one, the dilemma of depravity. And here's the dilemma that he shows. He says this in verse 20, 125, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They did a trade-off. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Here's what that's like. They traded the truth of God for a lie. It's like God shows up with a filet mignon and says, here you go. And they're like, no, can you give us dog food instead? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, 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 please. And they're like, we don't serve dog food here. No, we would like dog food. Like, are you, it's like you know, with, with my seven-year-old. Like I try to give him something really good to eat. And he's like, no, I want Cheez-Its. You're like, Jesus, oh, that's garbage, right? It's kind of the same way. It's like they traded. That's, that's the dilemma of depravity is that people live upside down. 
They're worshiping possessions. They're worshiping pursuits. They're worshiping things instead of worshiping the one who created all of that. That's the dilemma. The, the next dimension is the depth of depravity. Not only there's a dilemma that they have upside down living, but then he goes on to say this in verses 28 through 31. He says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, like malicious behavior and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. The depth of depravity is how sad it is how humanity treats one another. All you have to do, if you're wondering if this depravity is real, turn on the news, guys. Just turn on the news. Open up the newspaper. And every day you're seeing a depraved world doing things to each other as human beings that should never be done. Like, why would somebody do that to a child? Or why would somebody, you know, break into an elderly person's home and kill them? Or why would somebody—and and our minds can't grasp it, but Paul is showing them the depth of humanity of how they treat each other. Like, my wife has this coffee cup that says, be a kind human being. Is that too much to ask in our society? I think it is, right? Again, read the, the newspaper. Open up the, uh, the newspaper. Look at the news. There's a, a depth of depravity of how human beings who don't know Christ can treat each other. And then finally, Paul shows the demand. The third dimension is the demand of depravity. And this is very important. He says, they know God's justice requires that the, those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Understand he brings in God's justice here. God is not like you and I. God can't overlook sin. Because what sin is, sin is somebody ran into my car. And some, somebody's got to pay for it. Right? Or, or somebody breaks your lamp. Do you and I agree that it's got to be replaced, right? See, God can't look at that, with that, that law being broken and saying, I'll just overlook it. Because God is perfect justice and perfect love. He's not just what, well, God is just love and he'll just, over no, no, no. God is not, you know, the sweet uncle who just gives you candy and lets you do what you want to do. There's a demand of depravity. When Adam and Eve sin, sin is breaking God's holy law, which we all have. And what the result is, is death. We all deserve to die. Welcome to Thrive Church. This morning is so good to have you. <laughs> now, it gets better, but you can't stop there. You've you, you got to start right here with this. There's been a breaking of the law. The car's been broken. It's been, you know, something's happened. Now what? We all deserve to die. Here's what it is. The deliverance from, dep uh, from depravity. He says this in Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is a demand of depravity, guys. But thank the Lord there's a deliverance from depravity. That when you were at your worst, when you were depraved, when your understanding was darkened, when you were doing the, just mean things to other people... God then steps in and chooses to redeem you 
when you had nothing to offer him. Isn't that beautiful? Like, like, like while you were a sinner, while you were separated from God, then he comes in to deliver you through salvation. Here's what that picture is of perfect love and per- perfect justice of deliverance. Here's what happens. We have sinned against God. We crucified his son, right? Which is a pretty, that's a bad thing to do. Don't mess with my child, remember? So you remember the Halloween story a few weeks ago what happened. Don't mess with my boy. We did. We crucified his son. We all deserve to die because of our sin. So here's what God does. Proverbially, he sits us up on a firing squad, and God has the bullet. We're blindfolded. And out of perfect justice, God fires the bullet. But then with perfect love, God comes in the form of Jesus Christ in the flesh who did nothing wrong, and he stands in front of that bullet and takes it for us. We take the blindfold off, we look, and an innocent man gave his life for us. And we never had to take the bullet of justice. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. That's the deliverance from depravity. This, there is a demand for it. But perfect love and perfect justice meet in Jesus Christ. And that's what God did. And so what we have to do is this. I want you to write this down. God delivers us from our depravity when we decide to follow Christ. That's how you're delivered from it. And here's what Paul writes in Romans 2, 22. He says, we are made right with God by being spiritual people. We're made right with God by coming to church. And. We're made right with God by just believing God exists. And the list goes on and on. Depravity is stopped by this here. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ. He says, and this is true for everyone who believes. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles. No matter who we are. When you come to know Jesus, he regenerates your spirit. You're alive. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Like for me, I remember my story. I was depraved. I tell everybody there was a B.C. Kevin and an A.D. Kevin. March 1st, 1999 was my split date where I look back at pictures and I go through old photo albums. Like, okay, so all you guys that are under the age of 25, a photo album, we used to print out pictures. And we had this plastic thing that stuck that, yeah, right? It's like a book. And um, yeah, and, and so... <laughs> So I'll, I'll go through photo albums. I just look at that guy who was angry at the world. I would steal. I would lie. I would cheat. Anything I could do. And I look back and I think, who was that guy? I look at his eyes. And he was dead in his sins and trespasses. And then I look at the A.D. Kevin. That after Christ gave me life, he delivered me from that depravity. That now... Yes, I have my struggles and you do too, but now I have access to our Creator through Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I've been given purpose, right? I am now the salt. And you're the same way. You're the salt and light of the world now once you give your life to Christ. And it's so beautiful for me to look back at where God had brought me from and that separating point. But if you don't know that the world is depraved, if you don't know of the sinfulness of man and of yourself, you'll never have the need for a Savior. And I believe one of the things in our churches today, and I'm not pointing fingers at churches because some of my best friends pastor churches all across the city, we're not preaching the gospel anymore because we're scared of using the word sin. 
We're scared. But friends, can I tell you, without sin, you can never have a Savior. Good people don't need to be saved. Depraved people do. And once I came to my senses on March 1st, 1999, and I realized I was dead in sins and trespasses, that I deserved hell, I deserved death, I broke God's law, that was when I could accept Christ and receive his full life in me. And so here's what that should do for us. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and, and you've lived out Romans 2.22, and you've placed your faith in Christ, and you're living for him, when you look around the world, here's the three things that it should do for you. Number one is this. Your, our response to his deliverance should be thankfulness for the gospel. That's what worship is. Worship is not what we do on stage with music. Well, worship was good today. That, that wasn't worship. That was music. That's a part of worship, right? It's a part of your soul. Worship is our response to the gospel every day. Worship is our thankfulness for the gospel. Can I be honest with you? I'm kind of past the point of needing, needing them to play my favorite song. I have no input on what's played at either campus, and I don't care. Because they could sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and I'd be like, praise them. You know, why? they could sing Twinkle. I'd be like, because he made the stars, he made the sky, and he chose to redeem me. Right? Because I'm just thankful to be on the team. I'm just thankful to be saved. I'm thankful that he redeemed me, that while I was yet still a sinner, why in the world would he let his son be crucified for this piece of garbage of what I was to him? Isn't that beautiful? Like, like that's thankfulness to the gospel. And we live in such a world of needing more and wanting more, and I want this and want that, that we, I think we lose the beauty of worship. It's just pure thankfulness that he would take that bullet for us that we deserved. The second response is this, hope for a seemingly hopeless world. As you look around, I talk about the, this depraved world we live in. You think about all that's going on. You know, you know, Pastor Mark Thomas and I were on a, a call on a, a Thursday of last week with Illuminate Justice in Georgia with a good friend that's helping you know, free people from human sex trafficking. For some of us, that's not even on our radar that that exists, but there are people who do that around the world. The world is sick. The world is depraved. But Paul was not pointing his finger saying, oh, they're going to hell in a handbasket. Let me tell you what, oh my God, that, that, that's what we turned into. No, Paul gave his life to travel to depraved cultures like Rome and depraved like Ephesus so he could see people come to faith in Christ. This should give us hope for a hopeless world. The gospel is the hope of the world. It can transform lives, friends. And if we look around all the things that wagging our finger, we need to get on our knees and pray that people would give their life to Christ. The answer is not in our government. Stop looking at that and letting that bring you joy or, 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 you know, or, or depression. They can't fix our problems. The answer is not in just hoping people get better. The answer is in the gospel. And man, this should give us hope as we look around. And finally this morning, it also should give us compassion for the lost. I think what the church has lost is compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Well, you know, we do. We wag our finger. Well, how? I can't believe the language they're using. But they're depraved. That's what they do. I hang on people who aren't Christian. Don't, don't ever expect somebody who's not a believer to act like a believer. That's ridiculous. And I don't know about you, but like my grandparents tried to get me to act like a Christian instead of becoming a Christian. I'm going to say it one more time. 
They tried to get me to act like a Christian instead of becoming one. Because they taught me being a, a follower of Jesus was just a bunch of rules and you did good. I never knew about being born again and being like truly transformed by the gospel. And what that should do for us is have compassion on them. Because people who don't know Jesus are in a prison. They're lost. Jesus looked out upon Israel and all the religious pursuits. How they were going, you know, going south. He didn't say he got angry at them. He said he looked at them as sheep not having a shepherd. And guys, as we, we look at our culture and our world that is depraved, that's separated from the life of God, we should have hope that the gospel can change anyone. And we should have compassion on those who are lost. That person who cuts you off in traffic, inflicts you off and driving angrily, it's just sad that there's so much anger in people. It's sad. You see someone that murders somebody else. It's sad that, that someone would be brought to that point. And it should birth compassion in us that the Lord would rescue and redeem them and give them the same life that he's given us. And that's my prayer. As we look at depravity, we look at Paul says, this is what the culture in Rome was, and we see it today. Be thankful that Jesus has redeemed you. Be hopeful that he can do it for the worst sinner in this world that's depraved. And then have compassion on people because, man, they need Jesus. They need the gospel. And God has sent you into your workplace. He has sent you into your neighborhood. He has sent you on your daily commute to pray for these people and also be his ambassador for the gospel. And today, there's some of you in here today that are physically with me or watching online. You've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never had A.D. and B.C. You've never been regenerated. You've never given your life to Jesus. Well, I'm going to pray for all of us who are believers in here first today, but I'm going to give everyone in here and online a chance to experience that life and cross over. And if you will, let's pray this morning together. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I just want to pray for you. First of all, I pray, God, for every one of your followers in here. That, God, first of all, we would be consumed with gratefulness and thankfulness that you took the bullet that was meant for us, that you gave your son for us while we were yet still sinners. Thank you, Lord. I am utterly grateful, Lord. Thank you. God, I pray for all of us in here today that you would fill us with compassion and hope. As we leave this place, as we read the newspapers, as we look at the news, as we see the, the social media feeds, that we would not get angry and wag our fingers, but it would push us to pray, push us to believe that the same gospel that changed the Roman Empire, that was in utter moral decay, is the same gospel that can change our country and our world. God, give us that hope and give us that compassion. Fill us with that today, Holy Spirit, as we leave here. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've come to church and you like church. Maybe you consider yourself a spiritual person or a good person, but you're not a redeemed person. If you, maybe you walked away from your faith and gave up on faith because of a bad version of Christianity. 
I don't know what you've experienced, but today is your day to make the best decision ever. So whether you're in here with me today physically or you're watching online, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. And it's this. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that no amount of good works can save me. Today, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. For I believe that he's the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. God, I repent and I turn from my old life. Today, God, I receive new life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your gospel. And it's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen.